This is Sports Jam. I'm Doug Doyle. We have a very special guest for you and someone who, yes, grew up in Pittsburgh, just like I did. Dr. Thomas Graham is a world-renowned orthopedic hand surgeon, healthcare executive, author, inventor, and entrepreneur, and has spent more than three decades in professional sports and one of the top doctors in his field. Dr. Graham, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, thank you very much. Uh, congratulations on all your success and what you're doing to further our knowledge of sports and a lot of other very important societal issues. I, I just am very entertained and educated every time I listen. We're going to talk about the unique relationship you had with the great Arnold Palmer uh, in a little bit, but I didn't even know some of these jerseys that are behind me have special significance to you. Rocky Blyer and Roberto Clemente, <laughs> two people yeah, that yeah. you've come to know when they were playing and uh, have dealings with them. Let's first start off with the great Roberto Clemente. That is hit well. A Clemente home run, and the Pirates lead one to nothing. Well, you can't grow up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in the 60s and 70s, and not uh, literally idolize uh, Roberto Clemente and Arnold Palmer. I think probably the thing that is so amazing is their contributions off the field. Right. And I think they're well documented. And having just passed the new year where all of us, uh, all of us Pittsburghers reflect on what happened on, on New Year's Day. Um, I'm really pleased to live a couple blocks away from Roberto Clemente School. Uh, I keep in touch with Roberto Clemente Jr. And I remember getting my I think it was fourth or fifth grade class together and writing a letter to Vera Clemente upon uh, Roberto's untimely death and uh, got a letter back from. From Bill Guilfoyle, the PR director, he sent me one of uh, Roberto's practice gloves. Wouldn't be done today. I'm a mm -hmm. Gregor 990 model. Um, but I met him on several occasions. Uh, you know, obviously, you share those experiences with your fathers and friends growing up, going back then to the last game in Forbes Field and all those games in Three River Stadium. And listen, it was a, it, I love my upbringing. I'm a big fan of industrial cities like Pittsburgh, but now with now transitioned to a knowledge-based economy, but there's no no greater exemplar for a man, uh, an athlete, than Roberto Clemente. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up Vera because she was one of the first guests on this show many years ago, and she talked about when, when she was around, she was attending a Newark Bears game at the time, and we went upstairs and had a wonderful chat, how Roberto couldn't get out of bed many days because of his back and still went out on the baseball field and performed magnificently. Uh, truly, when we talk about injuries and sports back then, they didn't have the knowledge that they do now. And you're one of the people that has brought <laughs> so much knowledge and innovation to the world of medicine and sports. So let's talk a little bit about your current position right now. You are serving as the inaugural physician-in-chief of the Lehigh Valley Orthopedic Institute one of the country's largest specialty destinations for muscular skeletal care. And tell us about your role there before we get into some of the specifics. Yeah, I'm highly honored to uh, work with and among some of the most uh, advanced, sophisticated and caring individuals uh, in all our uh, specialty. We have about 200 providers, about 1,300 folks in all who are dedicated to keeping you moving, keeping you comfortable, uh, having you reach your goals. Um, you know, in, uh, a contemporary orthopedic institute like ours has not only the surgical specialties associated with orthopedics, 
uh, but we have uh, primary care sports medicine. We have uh, pain management, uh, physical medicine, rehabilitation. It's really a mosaic thinking about what do we need to surround the individual to allow them to reach their potential. And so, yeah, we've been really honored. Uh, we just put together a bunch of groups to turn into a kind of a mega group. I think we're maybe the 12th or so largest in the country and just we're just were recognized by U.S. News and World Report as the 27th best in the nation out of the you know 500 or so. So uh, we're on a bit of a rocket ride. Uh, Lehigh Valley Health Network's 20,000 employee, you know, integrated network, just doing great work in every specialty. I'm just really fortunate to to be able to represent the the Orthopedic Institute, but it's a lot of fun. I, I love I love moving big chess pieces, right? And um, when everything is so centered around the patient and you can put all those services in place to help them, it's very gratifying. And frankly, I got a lot of practice with that in my 30 years of professional sports. You know, we we learned kind of full matrix care by thinking about how do you take care of uh, of the, an NFL team? You know, nobody's nobody's shocked you have an orthopedic surgeon. Right, MCL, ACL, broken this. They were a little surprised we had an ophthalmologist and they were shocked we had an obstetrician because no other group, no other population, Doug, requires a hundredth percentile outcome. Right? You throw it 96, you go to Cooperstown, you throw it 86, you do something else for a living. So we have had to figure out how to surround that uh, group of very elite. Uh, individuals with every service and continue to learn from them and push forward medical and surgical science so they can reach that pinnacle. So we get to now put those learnings in place now for all of our neighbors. And that's, that's actually very gratifying. And why is Dr. Graham so important to the sports world? Well, we know sports is big business and it's big money. And your approach to getting elite athletes to return to the competition and fields and, and playing surfaces as soon as possible is a huge key. It's a must touchdown situation. If they don't make it, I would expect they go for a fourth down. Burrow to Higgins. Touchdown! And that's the Bengals we know. Those have maybe been reading USA Today, other articles about you worked on Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow and how important that is to their team uh, moving forward next year when he is back and ready to go. What's it like with your hands in the hands of such a great player that everyone is counting on being just perfect when he returns? Well, uh, he's a, also one of those individuals I think has already made and will continue to make significant contributions off the field coming from a lovely family. Listen, uh, we all of the 2,500 professional athletes that I've been honored enough to take part in their care are important. It's important to them and in their aspirations, to their family, to their team. Then you go to their community, to their sport. You know, when when you're taking care of individuals uh, who have a number on their back and a lot of numbers on their check, um, you're well aware of of the implications. However, I think perhaps why so few of us do so much proportionally is you have to drown all that out, right? Uh, you're there. Uh, first of all, they're a person. They happen to be a player. That's their job. And, you know, that day they're a patient. 
And that's what you have to think about. You have to think about the therapeutic diet, the doctor-patient relationship, and drown out all the noise in the media, in Las Vegas, and the calls you get from somebody who read your name in the paper and said, hey, I got this guy or gal in my fantasy team. Tell me what's going on, which are plentiful, regrettably. Remember the derivation of fan is fanatic. So I, I think, I think Doug, the, the secret is you are there to assist an individual who uh, requires your services. And hopefully you can draw upon that special uh, experience, that aperture we've had in to that level of performance that they require, the injury patterns that they may have that you may not get on the assembly line or, uh, you know, when you're working on a keyboard, but you get when 350 pound people are crashing into you. It's a, these are the things that have allowed us to really transfer more from our professional athlete experience into the daily practices of my specialty hand surgery, but all the things that deal with sports. We've advanced so much as a result of saying, hey, we need to get this person back in season or by next season. What can we draw upon to potentially uh, improve those chances in the operating room, in the rehabilitation phase, in the training phase? You know, orthopedics is a highly technical specialty. We rely on metallurgy and polymer science for some of the stuff we do or imaging that's advanced. So, so we've actually transported a lot from the athlete population that we're now doing literally on a day-to-day basis for our neighbors. When did you know that you wanted to be involved in medicine or be a doctor? When did that light bulb? Yeah, come? that's a story unto itself. That's also in the public domain. Uh, I grew up rurally, you know, outside of Pittsburgh, kind of Appalachia, and not a lot of television stations got in there, right? But uh, in the early to mid '60s was was actually the advent of of open heart surgery. DeBakey and Cooley in Texas, Christian Barnard in South Africa was being shown on Walter Cronkite and John Chancellor, right? Remember, remember the evening news, and I remember a very early grainy. I thought it was black and white. Might have been. Remember, I'm only I'm only a toddler. Um, and obviously you were supposed to be fascinated by the automaticity of the beating heart. Well, I got fixated on these hands that were like a symphony, so deftly working above it. And I had the audacity to write the guy whose name was at the bottom, probably in crayon at the time, but it was Michael DeBakey, arguably the most famous American physician ever. And he writes me back and we carried on. Um, a four-decade-plus relationship until his death at the age of 99 in the 2000s. And, um, you know, it was a, what, what a parable about mentorship. He, he could have easily thrown that one in the waste paper basket. He took the time to do it and then follow me through my career and support me. The other thing was, and I'm sure it's easy to tell by looking at me, I was once a, an athlete of sorts. Uh, I was one of the original folks who invested a lot of their time and energy in long distance running. And I, and I got to run against, you know, Bill Rogers and Frank Shorter and La Severin. But Doug, they had already finished, showered and eaten lunch by the time I crossed the finish line. <laughs> That's <laughs> okay. okay. You're so, talking so about listen, the greatest runners, yeah, you know, some right. of the greatest runners so, we've ever I seen. I mean, I, I was there in those races, but I, I actually got exposed to how training, metabolic efficiency, performance were put together. I knew I wasn't going to be an Olympian, but that early start allowed me to read widely. This, that's what DeBakey said, read as widely as you can, apply yourself to decisions to your studies, be creative. Today, we'd say innovative. So I had the, the scientific head start 
I had the athletic part. Then we put them together. And then as serendipity would have it, I met a escaped East German scientist. And back then, the Eastern Bloc countries had were more advanced in their sports science, the ethics of which are debatable. And I got the last piece of the puzzle. And so then I, I was fortunate then to be involved in the uh, 23rd Olympiad, uh, the 84 quadrennium, as an exercise scientist, exercise physiologist for the Olympic team. My mentor, Britton Chance, was not only a prolific inventor, um, one of the most storied scientists in the, in the country, but uh, an Olympic gold medalist, 52 in Helsinki and yachting. And he was Jack Kelly's best friend, Grace Kelly's brother, who was the president of the USOC at that time. And they said, hey, you got some pretty interesting ideas about the training of athletes to reach their peak when you want them to. We need that. Uh, and so I was between I was in college at the time. At Williams almost failed out because of it, because I was in Colorado Springs or Luzon, Switzerland or wherever for most of my college years, trying to in, try to really build the infrastructure for sports science back then. And so it's been a, it's been an interesting ride. And it was from there that the stepping off point became the natural of taking care of athletes, which I did through my time at the University of Michigan, Hail to the Victors, uh, had to get that one in. And then obviously started my career at the Cleveland Clinic and was immediately um, adopted into that great organization and by the folks taking care of the Browns and Cavaliers and was the Indians at the time. And now it's the Guardians. And I'm just about to go back for my 29th straight spring training in a couple of weeks. So that's the, in a capsule, that's kind of it. That's fantastic. And you may already know the Mark Spitz mustache story. Are you aware of, of, of how his mustache came into play with the East Germans and, and the whole Olympics? You know, something I've heard something about this and obviously what it wasn't as hydrodynamic. It, um, it, it, and it had nothing to do with science. I can tell you that because, uh, <laughs> Uh, Mark Spitz was was on the show, and he talked about when he was doing a clinic in Montclair, New Jersey, how everyone was watching. Why was he the greatest swimmer at the time? And so he just happened to mention, just off the cuff during an interview, that it was his mustache that gave him the edge. And he said when he got to the next meet, all the East Germans had mustaches <laughs> just hoping it. hoping yeah. to get that edge you know That's the edge, the edge that that you give these these athletes Maybe is so. all Maybe the so. knowledge <laughs> is all the knowledge yeah. that you have provided the the world of sports it seems now to just be all about injuries and i know it has a lot to do with fantasy people want to know but we just saw the other day Jalen Hurts just, you know, injured his finger just by hitting it on a helmet, you know, during a play. But this is such a violent, you know, sports world. Why are injuries, you know, so common now? The stingers used to be, you know, I remember Dave Robinson telling me he used to, to get a stinger all the time when he was playing for the Green Bay Packers. And now stingers are, you know, you're sitting out. What is it about the violence of sports that you'd like to talk about? Well, I think that, it's an interesting observation in my brief three decades. I remember watching a basketball court from, you know, cause we always had great seats courtside, you know, doctors had to sit closer or be on the side, the sideline of a football game. And I swear from that, those experiences in the eighties and nineties to today, it looks like there's a lot less room out there. There hasn't been a change in the dimension and there hasn't been a change in the number of players, but what's changed. They're bigger and they're faster. 
And I think when you have com- combined spaces like that, confined spaces like that, and these individuals with the training regiments, with the dedication, with the sports science, they're they're getting from point A to point B a lot faster. They, you know, linemen are running four six forties. I just think that something's got to give, right? It's physics, and, and I, I just believe that that there's inherent issues with that. I uh, have a friend and former patient, Phil Mickelson, who said something interesting. He said, you know, how about if your if your employer was making your workplace more more treacherous? He was referring to lengthening golf courses and growing the grass deeper. There's there's changes that are going on around that continue to try to challenge our athletes. There's like some rule changes and things like that. Now, on the positive side, we're utilizing sports science so much more effectively to understand um, the physics of that. Uh, the, the, maybe the most obvious is what we learned about about helmet design right? In football. Um, But I just think that we're going to continue to be somewhat prone to this escalation of injuries, probably emphasized now more because it seems like there's billions of dollars of quarterbacks on the, on the shelf, right? Um, Which that's such a marquee position. But I think that would be my answer. They're, They're not slacking off. When I started in this, people came back to spring training, 15 pounds overweight and smoking. And they use spring training to get it, get in shape. That is not the case anymore, right? It is year round because the because the money is so great and what's on the line is so great for these athletes. So they continue to be disciplined. We continue to see, and we take we're pretty good epidemiologically looking at uh, you know the uh, injury patterns and things like that. And then we in the in the surgical community have to keep upping our game. Right to take care of these, to take care of these things. So, and with that being said, you're you're such an innovator. And when you were uh, at the Cleveland Clinic, you were the healthcare's first chief innovation officer yeah. there. And now you have more than sixty patents. And why is innovation so critical in today's uh, landscape? And what are some of the patents that you're most proud of? Well, I most of my work has been in the medical device space, uh, developing. Uh, implants to treat fracture or to replace degenerative joints and things like that. Obviously, I'm a hand, wrist, and elbow surgeon who invented uh, one of the most most commonly used elbow prostheses and things like that. Um, listen, innovation is great. That, what what is innovation? It's it's at once the most desired of individual and corporate characteristics, but but but. Truly, that lets it get ill-defined, like uh, you can wear jeans to work and bring your dog and that kind of stuff. Innovation is is reducing transcendent thought to practice, putting ideas to work. And in our business, we'd like to say mission-driven innovation because you're trying to improve and extend human life and then something for our shared roots and create economic opportunity, right? There's not a lot of smoke from the steel mills anymore in Pittsburgh, Right. But look at the economy. They've diversified, med and ed. And so I was really proud to kind of start to be one of the pioneers to harness that concept of creative thought that not only elevates your organization when you realize the expertise that's all around you, from the loading dock to a dock, right? Everybody's an expert. Let them tap into that. Make a pathway for their ideas to be heard. And then 
learn how to distill those ideas, how to protect them legally, how to develop them, how to test them, rapid prototype them, if you will, which is a popular term right now, and then get them back into the hands of the experts. So my job was always to build that virtuous cycle. How can we take that light bulb that went off at the bedside or laboratory bench through all the steps and return it to the individual who thought it up in the first place to help a patient? And then again, we've done a lot of work on the community economic development part um, with Governor Kasich in Ohio, most notably, to try to build kind of an innovation ecosystem because there's plenty of room under that tent because we got a lot of problems. We need to solve them. And it's not always about the shiny metal objects I referred to before. It's innovation in, in, in how we deliver care, especially in a f- fiscally responsible manner. Some amazing work, obviously. And, Thank and you. When, when you bring out names of Phil Mickelson and Joe Burrow, we know that, you know, the level that you're working on. And since you brought up Phil, I want to talk about, we mentioned at the top of the show, the relationship you had with golf legend Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer for birdie at the par 4 13th. You can see his grandson Sam there watching his every move. There's that familiar crouch by 75-year-old Arnold Palmer, who you can see has bundled up a bit here. So special to me because my dad was a fan. My dad met him, and um, my dad passed away in 2020. And I'm one sorry. of the things that I that I treasure, thank you, um, great sports fan. He's the reason that you know that that I do what I do. I and that. he had this you know treasured photo of Arnold with an, an autograph and and I gave him this beautiful picture of Arnold and comedian Jackie Gleason on the golf course I don't know if you've ever seen it and away we go you know and, I, I, uh, I, I, I I think if not mistaken if it's the same one I'm thinking about Bobby Jones is in the background of that golf cart yeah it's it's an iconic photo I love to see yeah. how everybody dressed at the time yeah. but growing up in the 60s and 70s in Pittsburgh you got a chance, as you mentioned before, to meet some of the greats. And in the 80s and 90s, Arnold Palmer was not only your friend, but your patient. And in the 2000s, he became your partner in founding the Arnold Palmer Sports Health Care, uh, the Arnold Palmer Sports Health Center in mm-hmm. Baltimore. What do you want to say about Arnold Palmer as not only someone as, a, as an athlete, but, but someone who really touched so many lives? Yeah, uh, this may not mean a lot to all your listeners, but my folks grew up in Latrobe and Ligonier area, um, where Arnold still resided, uh, even at the time of his death. And again, his influence, you thought, you thought Clemente and Palmer and Mr. Rogers were just prominent Pittsburghers or Carnegie or whatever. (laughs) These are the most prominent people in the whole world. And so it was a great place to grow up at that time, wasn't it? Beside the four Super Bowls and two World Series in the 70s. Um, you know, Arnold had so many attributes that should be celebrated. And the fact that they resided in one man still is amazing. Humility, uh, sportsmanship, gentility. Uh, he was an unbelievable philanthropist, businessman. Sometimes I thought he was more proud of his piloting skills than his golf skills to be honest. And I think he would smile if he heard, heard us say that, but he, he embodied them. I probably was fortunate enough to have dinner with him hundreds of times. Uh, Doug, not one time did we get through dinner without somebody coming up and asking for an autograph, shake his hand picture. Not one time did I see him refuse. 
Now we're talking thousands of times. Wow. I would sit in his office sometime when he would sign and then send back on his own dime. His his uh postage bills must have been astronomical. He told me, you know, they exceeded hundred thousand dollars a year. And I didn't give him enough credit. When you ask how we got into this or why did twenty five hundred athletes choose us, um, he and Mark McCormick, uh, you know, IMG started in Cleveland, right? And they were kind enough to kind of say, hey, you're the de facto team doctor for IMG. That's what that's how this happened is because because they supercharged it uh, on my behalf. So, uh, like I said, if there was one thing I would I think, you know, besides being a husband and father, um, besides being a, a, a lead athlete, uh, I would just say that he probably was a polymath of all the things that your parents wanted you to be and you aspired to be. And he just happened to be a physical uh, expression of that. And I'm, I'm sorry, that's not as concise, but you know, you can wax poetic. He was the whole package and it was sincere and authentic. And maybe that's the word you're looking for because I saw him ultra privately in the best and worst of times. I w- was with him, you know, publicly a gazillion times. Uh, he dedicated uh, his, himself to healthcare, as you know, the amazing children's hospital that he uh, and when he promoted in Florida, the prostate cancer center, Rancho Mirage, our uh, sports center. Blah, blah. So I will just say that there, there may not ever be an opportunity to have somebody else like him uh, mm-hmm. to come around at that time. What he meant to that sport, the advent of television, the advent of uh, representation and athlete autonomy like IMG. So right guy, right place, right time. And uh, I will never be able to uh, go through a day probably without thinking about Right guy, right place, right time. You mentioned somebody else that truly fits that. You can't come on Sports Jam or any show and do any interview with me, Dr. Graham, and bring up the name Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers was everything to me growing up. A Pittsburgh icon, obviously. Very much a huge Penguins fan. I know you work on the Penguins, you work on the Pirates, and and, and many of the players there. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? But that's a day I cried when when Fred Rogers passed away. Obviously, he meant something to you as well. Yeah. And by the way, they were two years apart at Latrobe High School. Arnold and Fred Rogers. I didn't know um, that. Yeah. And so somebody else who I, I got an opportunity to be around him. He lived in Fox Chapel where I went to high school at Shadyside Academy. His uh, his attorney was one of my best friends. Father, it, the same on screen as the same at a dinner party, the same coming to his son's games, the, sa- the same. And maybe that's what we should all aspire to, right, is is act like everybody's watching all the time. And uh, isn't it amazing? And, and isn't it great that, that Mr. Rogers has been recognized for his contributions uh, most recently, whether it's uh, in the, the films and things like that, we've heard about him. But another another great man, another great Pittsburgher, right? And so, uh, like I said, when I saw your uh, how you were festooned today, I, I uh, knew I was in the right place. Yeah, when I say right place, right time, because he was 
he was way ahead of his time when it came to allowing you know people of color on his show and, oh. and the music, the jazz. Obviously, I worked for a jazz station, WBGO, and the jazz that he had on the show and and how he. Uh, I had someone who called when uh, when Fred Rogers passed away, Doctor Graham, and said. That's how I learned about jazz, the Marsalis family on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And that's uh, why he, he knew about that. Now, one thing that's fabulous is not only is Dr. Graham the top in his field, but he's sharing that information. He's not keeping it all to himself. He's trained hundreds of orthopedic surgery residents and hand surgery fellows. You obviously know the importance of spreading your knowledge to generations well you know uh, coming from appalachia you got a bunch of aphorisms right <laughs> you know if, I, if i'm up on the boat you know we're not in a position to pull up the ladder and uh i think that one of the most important impactful things we referred to my debate experience in the last year of his life he wrote a hundred letters he was going to be a hundred died a couple months short of that to the people that influenced him. I get one of these letters, come on. But each one had a theme and mine was mentorship. And it was, it showed you again, as we stated, uh, sharing of yourself, even though you may think it's insignificant in time or in the depth of knowledge can really change the course of somebody's life. Right. And we are always in medicine, looking for ways to improve and, this is where innovation comes in again, the, the word innovation, because it thrives at the intersection of knowledge domains, right? I might have a lock and somebody else may have that key. So let's talk about it, right? And somebody whose knowledge about your show may say, I'm disabusing the concept of our patent system. Put that aside. It's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about how we can now disseminate knowledge through all these new platforms, whether it is, you know, we now you can use video, we can post our own videos up on up up there. Hey, if I found out something that was kind of interesting in a case, I could have filmed that and put that up on social media tonight, and somebody could benefit it from tomorrow. So I just think that uh, there's just going to be an escalation of opportunity as we have greater and greater technology, whether it's three dimensional modeling, whether it is augmented reality or artificial intelligence. We have all these things right now that that even us oldsters are learning about. If we can metabolize them, think about how our experience might have been different and kind of update everything and put it through those filters and get that knowledge out, we can start to logarithmically add to add knowledge. You know, the doubling time of medical knowledge was decades, you know, a hundred years ago. Now it's weeks, meaning the literature is exploding. Opportunity to learn is exploding. It might, it might be tougher to learn, but let's also learn about learning. And that having been said, I do still believe that the greatest way to impart knowledge is what we're doing, looking face to face. And obviously we're on video, it'd be more effective live, but uh, I just think that we have both the opportunity, but the responsibility to train future leaders. And that's something you got to do now. It's the only way you can give back to your mentors. I can't send my mentor just recently passed away, Jim Strickland. I can't send his, him a check. Hey, thanks for mentoring me. And so it's a pay it forward situation. As you watch the wild card playoffs 
in the NFL. And you see any of this pass or this catch, I want you to think of Dr. Thomas Graham, because <laughs> without these, that's not happening. We only have a couple of minutes left, but I have to talk about, we value every day, right, that we get up. You had a near-death experience. <laughs> Yeah, more than more I than a decade to... ago. Can can you briefly tell us about it? And, oh, of course. And how it's changed I, you? Yeah, I uh, yeah. This also is in the public domain because it was such a celebrated thing that uh, my colleagues at the, at the Cleveland Clinic were able to do. Yeah, I was the sickest man on the face of the earth for a couple of years, hospitalized from October of 2012 to April of 2014 um, with necrotizing pancreatitis. Uh, it's a very rare but uniformly fatal. Uh, problem took me 21 operations to uh, come back, and boy, you you do learn a lot. If I didn't learn anything, it would have been been time wasted. But um, uh, in the biggie, and I'm not a I'm not a person who imparts uh, knowledge on others uh, in their personal sphere too much. But first of all, the only thing that matters are your relationships and experiences. When you're when you're down on that, when you're fa- when you're told tomorrow's probably your last day. You're not thinking about what watch you wear or what car you drive. You're thinking about the people that care about you and and the amazing teams that are taking care of you. You talk about team sports. Medicine's a team sport. And when we act that way, when we share knowledge, when we keep the patient at the center. But then there, it's, what is interesting, Doug, is the concentric circles. Obviously, your family. My daughter and wife never left. I was in the hospital for almost two years. They never left. Um but the next concentric circle out, your your friends and your colleagues. But then when you come back and you go to Starbucks and the barista hands you that and says no charge and says, I heard you were sick. It's amazing. There's a thousand hands out there trying to pull us up. And that's what kind of impact we can all make. So many, Palmer, Rogers. We've talked about the people that do. We're making those kind of impacts too. And you do it, you're, you're reaching tens of thousands, millions of people today and with your show, which I've, I've enjoyed so much. And so, yeah, I was really lucky. I look back, I've, I, I had an extra uh, decade tacked on here and I'm trying to live like I deserve it. Right. And, and that's, a, a, again, thank you for recognizing that. And it's tough on everybody. It's tough on the families and everything like that. So always show grace and compassion for people going through a tough time. We're so glad that uh, you are healthy and and made it through that very difficult time. And look what you're doing since you know you you are saving you are saving lives. You're also saving sports teams from disaster. It's been an, an honor and a pleasure to have Master Surgeon Doctor okay. Thomas thank Graham you. here on Sports Jam. Thank you so much. Well, what a pleasure. Thank thank you. Thank your uh, all your listeners and viewers because I love building community and that's what you're doing. Sports Jam is a WBGO Studios production. You can hear all the shows by going to wbgo.org slash sportsjam or wbgo.org slash studios. You can also find Sports Jam with Doug Doyle on the NPR list of podcasts or wherever you hear podcasts. Special thanks going out to Joe Favorito for hooking us up with Tom Graham. Until our next Sports Jam session, I'll see you at the game.